Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 289, Things I Learned the Hard Way So You Don't Have To, an interview with Suzanne Woods Fisher, coming to you on Thursday, December 8th, 2022. Well, first of all, let me start by saying, wow, it's been a long time since we've talked to each other. I really did not mean that to happen but things get away from you sometimes, things come up, technology interrupts, which was definitely a big part of uh, the middle part of my year. I had a lot of technology issues that I had to deal with, but I'm back, I'm excited to bring you some more guests. These guests actually were meant to uh, be spread out over a couple of months because I told you the last time we talked that I was gonna try to have at least one person a month talking to you with some interesting, helpful teaching type subject. We were going to try to do eight to 10 or so uh, really strong teaching type subjects, even more than um, an interview, which can be great and there's a lot to learn. But I told people, you know, specifically, I want to help people to write more and um, and learn something new that they can apply right away to their writing life. So I've got three wonderful guests for the rest of the year. Again, supposed to be spread out, but we're just going to do all three of them in December. So uh, hopefully you're getting ready to be on Christmas vacation so that you have extra time for listening and taking notes. So today we're going to be listening to, as you heard, Suzanne Woods Fisher giving us a lot of different kinds of insights about the writing life and the writing business. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. And I'm going to uh, only talk briefly because I want to get right to it, but I want to let you know there is a lot of new things happening or just about ready to happen with Right Now Workshop. So I wanted to let you know that I have started the Finish Your Books group coaching program that just started on December 1st. I'm super excited. I love what we're teaching and learning and sharing in this program. It's at a significantly discounted price than working with me one-to-one as a book coach where it's just you and me for six months. This is six months working with sort of a hive mind. So this might be a better match for you, might be something that you're interested in. What you need to do is go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Kitty Buholtz. And if you're just listening to this, you can just uh, look at whatever you're listening on your podcast app or whatever and see how to spell Kitty Buholtz. Um, and there are four free trainings that I did. Let's see, it was um, starting the week of Thanksgiving this year, so November 2022. Um, and they were all between one and one and a half hours long, teaching you about the whole path system that I've created for how to write more with less stress and more peace and joy. Uh, I really enjoyed presenting these um, classes to you and I'm going to be taking them down, I think on December 31st. So I wanted to offer you because um, you haven't heard from me for a while, I wanted to offer you a coupon in case you wanted to join the class but didn't have the opportunity before. So if you use the link underneath the YouTube video for any of the four uh, free trainings, then you can use a coupon code of, I just accidentally erased it. <laughs> you can use the coupon code of 2022, just 2022, just those four numbers, 2022, uh, to get $400 off 
your six month subscription to the finish your books group coaching program. So if you'd like to do that, please do youtube.com forward slash Kitty Buchholz. Look for the four masterclass trainings and they're numbered, I think like day one, day two, day three, day four, and all the links and information that you'll need will be right there in the, um, it's basically the show notes section of YouTube. So that was the one thing I wanted to tell you. I have a new website that's about to go live any minute. So I'll tell you more about that when it's ready, but I'm super excited. There's going to be a lot more information in it. Um, there's going to be more free things that you can download, different ways to help you as a writer and within the writing life to, again, write more with less stress, more peace and joy. It's kind of my mantra for the year and maybe forever going forward because I'm like, there's really nothing wrong with that as a mantra. So <laughs> I want to help you with it as well. Um, lots more things to tell you about, which I will over the coming weeks. And in the meantime, let's get into this interview with Suzanne, where we can learn more about the things that she learned the hard way so we don't have to. Here we go with Suzanne. I hope you loved the interview as much as I loved interviewing her. Take notes and we will see you again next week. Today's guest is Suzanne Woods Fisher. Suzanne is an award-winning, best-selling author of more than 40 books, including The Sweet Life, The Moonlight School, and A Season on the Wind, as well as The Three Sisters Island, Nantucket Legacy, Amish Beginnings, The Bishop's Family, The Deacon's Family, and The In Eagle Hill series. Those are all series. She is also the author of several nonfiction books about the Amish, including Amish Peace and Amish Proverbs. She lives in California. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, Kitty. Thanks for having me today. It's so good having you here. I can't believe it's been so long. You were here in 2018. I think that was my very first year of podcasting. And then 19, and now it's 22. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that we got together again. <laughs> Almost the end of 22, too. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it is. It's hard, it's hard to believe that time just flies. Yeah. yeah. But I'm excited because um, you were happy to work with me on this new idea that I have that, um, you know, I've been a little on and off about it this year, just trying to figure out how to balance, um, you know, I kind of feel I'm not necessarily one of those people who thinks, you know, those who can't teach. I think there's great teachers and great teachers who do the thing and great teachers who don't do the thing. Um, but I definitely am one of those people where I feel like if I'm going to be podcasting or about writing and writing books and articles about writing, um, then and I and if I want to write, like I should be also writing. <laughs> so that's what I was trying to add back into my year. And one of the things that I wanted to do so that the podcast continued to be, you know, full of, um, you know, not only inspiration, but wisdom and help was to have sort of those workshops that you would have at a writer's conference as the podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited that you were like, oh, that sounds great. I want to do one. <laughs> I love that because I think the people who have had multiple contracts who are in this as a career, a long haul, hoping for a long haul, they have a lot to offer. They have a lot that they have figured out in how to work at home, how to work two jobs, how to adjust to family, how to, um, you know, just make this sustainable. And I think you can't glean enough from people who are doing it well. Yeah. And especially, you know, just in the time that you and I have been writing, and I can't remember, you, I'm sure you told me on one of the other episodes how long you've been writing, but lots of things have changed in our industry. And so mm -hmm. for people who are 
in it, in the middle of it, or just coming into it and wanting to figure out how do I make this part of my, you know, life for a long time. Like, it's good to know what has recently changed that maybe you've been head down in a book and you haven't been noticing that something's changed or you're just new to it and you didn't know that this is not the same as what you read in, you know, Writer's Digest, uh, um, you know, from 2002 or something. Well, here's something I just learned that Barnes and Noble had really gone through such a hard time and closed so many stores. And I think then private equity bought them, if I'm not mistaken. I just heard that, yeah. And they're now reopening. In fact, right in my, the town next to me, there is finally a new one coming in, finally a bookstore coming in instead of going out. But the tone from the private equity company is that every store needs to be almost self-standing where the manager is permitted to make this the store for your locale instead of a template for all the Barnes and Noble. Right. And they're succeeding. So that is one of those little moments of thinking, how fun, you know, something, something on the right side of the whole book industry. Yeah. yeah. So then that means that they are going to be a lot more um, individually, but likely much more open to local authors coming in and doing things. I think so. And I think it's a wonderful thing for the managers to have that autonomy to really keep the books in the store that, that his locale or her locale is looking for instead of just right. you know, being told by corporate headquarters what to, what to order. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Now I kind of want to like fly back to the U.S. and visit a Barnes and Noble somewhere where, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, exciting. So today, um, I'm really happy with your topic. Um, it just sounds like exactly the sorts of things that um, it sort of winds up a year. And it's also a great topic for like, thinking about how am I going to start out my next new year? I don't know about you. I'm already looking at, you know, the uh, 2023 writing planner that I need to get. And, you know, it's October 6th, as you and I are talking, but um, I'm a bit of a planner. But your topic is things I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I love that. Well, I, I like it too because it it kind of puts me on the same level. Like I, I'm right there with you. I'm just trying to figure things out. And I I have learned a lot and a lot through just hard hard work to try to, to make this work. So I kind of came up with, I think maybe like 10 points, 10 sort of bullet points about things I have figured out through the you know nuts and bolts of and all that through the years of writing I've been writing since well, actually I've been writing magazines since I got out of college nonfiction and then at one point in I think 2007 I published my first book wow. so that has been in fact just just yesterday or Tuesday of this week my uh, somewhere in the upper 30s my 30th some book has been published and it's amazing and it's exciting and wonderful and yet it's still hard work it's yeah. still every single book is still I, I mean I've had to set a goal for myself of wanting every book to be better than the one before it so I want to I like that I like to keep pushing and becoming you know honing my skills more and more but I feel like there are some things I learned that could just shortcut things for other people and make it a little easier for them as they are on the road to publication or on the road to enduring you know, multiple right. publications. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I have eight titles out, but um, 
sadly, and this is um this is embarrassing on the one hand because we're told the th sorts of things that we should be embarrassed about, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk about it because it shouldn't be something embarrassing. It's just part of life. But it's been five years since I put out a title, and. And part of me is like, oh my gosh, like you can't ever let anybody know that. Don't let anybody know. But the thing is, is that um, all the things that happen in life that cause you to be um, not writing or not publishing, because it's not always the same, um, they're, they're the sorts of things that other people might be going through too. And if you could help each other the way that you're helping, you know? Yeah. And I don't, it's not a race either. You know, yeah. There's... There's a story I heard a while ago that I just loved, and it's by the author of Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Oh, I think that? I've heard of that book, but I yeah, don't know I'm it. I'm blanking on her name, and I'm sorry, I should have thought of this because she's a, a wonderful person, wonderful author. And after she, she just had this, you know, it was a hit book. And when she was finished, her agent, of course, is like, okay, what's next? And she said, I don't know if I have anything next right now. And the agent wisely said, then you wait until the Lord brings you the next book. And I, I just Aww. love that. I thought, well, that's a, that's exactly the way to pursue this, that this is a, you know, this is an experience that you need to do your best at every point and, and not feel like you are competing. But, but with that, we can get rolling into yeah. the things I learned the hard way. So you don't have to, and I hope you'll interrupt at any point. If you have a question, Kitty, because that I think is. If you're thinking it, someone's listening is probably thinking the same thing. Right. Awesome. Well, to begin with, I had years ago, back when you got a daily newspaper, <laughs> I was reading in a page that was talking interview of a woman who was turned 100 years old and she was having a birthday party and they, the journalist went and just interviewed her on how have you lived so long? What is it that's given you that ability to, to be a hundred years old? and keep going. And the woman said, well, I want to see what happens next. And something about that, I've never forgotten that because that is a beautiful life attitude. And then it's also exactly what good writing is all about. It's yeah. you want to write in such a way, fiction or nonfiction, so that you are pulled forward you are on you a reader is on their toes not on their heels yeah through every chapter through every book hard to do but that is such just keep that in mind what happens next and that that I think is just like a, a really good theme I like that I know I like it too I'm, I'm sure she's passed away by now but I just think what I, I would have loved knowing her yeah so number two we're going to talk about small ponds are a great place to start and they really, really are. So I got my start, if you can believe it. Well, I wrote on the college newspaper and then we, I, we married, I, you know, we moved around, my husband's a corporate guy. And so we were transferred quite a bit. We were living in Houston, Texas. And I wrote for a diaper newsletter. Really? I got free diaper service if I put the newsletter together, which probably sounds so funny, but it was, it was a great little start of just writing clearly, keeping skills going. Then I started, a friend of mine actually from college, we worked on the paper together. Years later, she said, I have, I'm freelancing. I have more work than I can do. Are you interested? And she started passing me her pieces when she was too busy. That was, that was it. I was just kind of receiving her leftovers. And 
that just started little by little again working well on who is my audience who is my you know who is the giving me this because I actually worked for some trade journals yeah. so that's a different kind of writing yeah than to a consumer learning how to interview cold call all that that takes work you know figuring out that moment of when I'd research a topic enough that I was getting a lot of overlapped information. That was always to me the point of thinking, okay, now I got a handle on a topic. Yeah. So, you know, writing for magazines years and years. And then when I went to college, my kids went to college, you know, we'd actually even lived overseas like you, we had been in Hong Kong for four years and as the internet was just kind of really taking off. So I kept my writing going, came back from Hong Kong. And this was a point in life when I had kids just starting to head to college. I have four children, so that was just starting. My dad was starting to show signs of Alzheimer's. So life was changing. Yeah. And it was, just, you know, it was kind of like coming back after living overseas, there's a little bit of a pause because people don't know you're there yet. You know, and yeah. you're not over-volunteered like you will be in a year. Yeah. And it kind of gave me a little space to just think, okay, how am I, what do I want? What am I thinking about? What do I see in the future? And my niece had given me this book by Brenda Eulen, written in like 1936. And there was this phrase about, the book is called, If You Want to Write. It's just a classic. And there was this little phrase, um, everybody is essentially, everybody is something interesting and valuable and worth saying. And it, it just kind of struck me. It hit me about writing a novel because I just felt as if, what's stopping me from going from nonfiction writing to that scary big world of writing a novel. Yeah. And we're talking from 2,500 words in an article to 85,000 words. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a big leap. And I decided I was gonna, was gonna do it. I had this idea for a little World War II love story. Kitty, I stayed in the laundry room for, that's where I typed yeah. for, um, I think three or four months writing a first draft. And I did not tell my husband, my children, my sister, I told no one, this was just my experience with the Lord. Yeah. And at the end of the time at dinner that one night, I told, announced my family, I've written a book and you know how, how sons are just so sensitive. <laughs> my youngest son looked at me and he said, that's why there's no food in this house. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so right. He was so right because not, I'm not even a big shopper, but our visa bill was just down to nothing. You know, it was just, it was really like this, this quiet little journey I had. So I had that, that first draft, which is such a drafty draft, you know, it's so bad, but I worked on it, worked on it, started pitching. And this is a point I really want everybody to understand. I had so many contacts because of writing for magazines Yeah, and and I and editors were kind enough to kind of give me well a little lift. I didn't get a single bite, <laughs> you know, not from a traditional publisher, not from an agent. I mean, I literally just just like everybody else, rejection after rejection after rejection. And you need that too. You need to understand this this business. They're not only not looking for you, but they're looking to see why you shouldn't be republished. It's it is a tough business. So. But I started then looking at small royalty presses. And, and this was, again, this was 2000, probably six, this 2000, yeah, because it was published in 2007. You know, I looked at a second tier. I didn't want to self-publish, but I did want to look at that 
that point. I still wanted editing. I wanted distribution. And that I ended up getting an offer from a little royalty press that was just a gift in so many ways. And because it was a small royalty press, I had to learn so much about the business side of writing because I couldn't just turn it over and let it go. It was up to me to work, call Barnes and Noble, to call other places, to, you know, go for consignment sales in little shops. I mean, to look for any hook I could to do public speaking, which I dreaded so much, but I finally got over that. And then also it's easier to get awards in a small pond because you're, you're, applying for smaller awards and that little book was called copper star and it ended up getting some awards and it caught the attention of an agent because of that I was starting to build just a little you know stir the dust a little bit and she had Joyce Hart was this woman who is wonderful and she knew of an editor we would had conversations about my background she knew that my grandfather was raised plain and she also knew of an editor for Ravel who was looking for someone with an authentic connection to the plain people to write a nonfiction book about the plain people. Oh. So you know how life just all these little things come together. Yeah. And that opened the door to working for Ravel books. And it was just, you know, now it's 35 some books later, it's just been same editor, same agent. It's just been a wonderful experience. Yeah. I've branched out of Old Order Amish writing. We, I, not, I still do, right? That's my recent release that we we will probably talk about. But, yeah. um, but I've also branched into contemporary historical fiction because writers are writers and we're sort of overblessed with curiosity. But the point is, you know, just all these little strands in life kind of came together. And I think some of it was because I was willing to start small. Yeah, there, and it was just, you know, such a wonderful thing. So my point to people is to say yes, say yes to as many writing opportunities as you can. Say yes to church newsletters. Say yes to starting blogs because they're kind of piano school skills a little bit. Yeah, and then just remember, you're not working with an editor. You need a second pair of eyes. Even editors need editors. Yeah, get feedback on your work. Get guidance, suggestions, and you know, you need this. It all adds up to make you a better and better writer and easier for editors to work with you, which I think has been a gift for me too, because I, I came from a very humble place and I, I hope I haven't lost that where I know the burdens on me to produce something that is really as to the best of my ability. Right. Right. So, you know, and I'm thinking about, um, when you look at one and two together, um, what happens next be curious and then also being willing to um start or restart or like um sometimes uh, like i went through a period of pretty bad burnout and um it got to the point where i could not even think of opening a computer to do anything um i couldn't think of much at, at all <laughs> and um and eventually i i got to the point where I was healing a little bit more and and I started sort of having that what happens next in my life idea 
you know, like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better now. What am I, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, you know, am I going to go back to writing? Am I done with writing? Do I not like writing anymore? Like I didn't even know because during that horrible, the worst part of the burnout, um, nothing was interesting to me. Uh, nothing grabbed my attention in any way. And, um, and I thought, oh, wow. So I guess I'm done as a writer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started coming up out of it, then kind of for me, it was a little bit of the combination of your number one and number two, you know, be curious what happens next and start, uh, start small and or start with whatever you've got. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to think about publishing, you know, like writing for publication. I just want to like, see whether or not I'm still curious and, you know, interested in whatever. And I just allowed myself to write anything for any length of words, not finish it, it would be fine. And just wait and see, you know, what came to my mind next and next Mm -hmm. and next after that. And then after a while, I was like, okay, well, I actually am interested in this. And I do want to finish this. And then it was, and I want to, you know, somehow get this out into the world kind of thing. And, and I think that regardless of whether it's uh, somebody who doesn't know where to start yet, you could probably just make a list, like make a mind map, right? Mm-hmm. All your different kinds of interests. And also, like, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you would ever write about um, the kind of people that your grandfather grew up in that community? I mean, did it ever, maybe it did, maybe it did occur to you, you know, sometime I should write about my grandfather's plain past. Well, I think it, I was always drawn to books about them. Like, do you remember the book by Sue Bender, Plain and Simple, in the 80s, where she went and lived with them? with an old daughter Amish family and it was a nonfiction book, but I, I was always, I always enjoyed my relatives. I always found them fascinating. I loved going to the, these gatherings they would have every five years where all the locals, and they were actually German Baptists, which was on the same family tree of the Amish, uh-huh. same garb, same simple lifestyle. They, no, no, televisions, no computers, no radios in their homes. They will use cars. They will fly on planes, unlike the older Amish. But so in some ways, I I don't know if I thought about writing about them, but I did feel myself authentically drawn to them. And that's what came out of this book, Amish Peace, Simple Wisdom for a Complicated World. It was my editor, Andrea Doreen, had this basic idea. And this was at the time when people were really interested in the older Amish, you know, I think right as the recession was hitting and there was a school shooting, if you remember of a little schoolhouse and they were, and their forgiveness just shocked the world. So there was such a, how do they do it? How can they possibly do it? Sort of a, a interest in them. And so this book, I, funny, I kind of wanted in my coffin. It's still, I don't really read the books I've written. I always feel like, Oh, I see so many mistakes, but this book, I, I really feel, no, this was the foundation book for me. This, gave me what I needed to then write fiction credibly. Right. So, um, so, you know, like just what you're saying, look back in your life and dig and think and all these little, you know, life experience you've had. I think journaling is such a good thing for this. Yeah. And, um, you know, God is using all of it. It's yeah. a tapestry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Well, moving on, we're going now to something that'll surprise you a little bit, and that is be unoriginal. And by that, that surprising. <laughs> by that I mean you really should study the authors you love 
and why you love them and what it is that resonates with you. For example, do they have a remarkable sense of descriptive language or are they especially gifted at character development, the kind of characters that you, you care about and you think about? And, or do they have a, a knack with chapters that leave you leaning on forward, just like you can't stop reading because, and I think that if the more we read, reading a lot, it should be a priority in your life. I mean, it should be a, Benjamin Franklin spent two hours a day reading and he was a busy man, you know? <laughs> and I think if he did that and he was really a self-educated man, I mean, what a model that is for us that we should be reading and reading and reading a wide range of authors. I tend to use little uh, post-it notes tabs as little like one inch things as I go through to just remember something I admire in a book. I, I like to see, for example, what are, how do, how does an author use a timestamp so that you're not even aware of it? How has he or she woven in the fact that it's a Monday afternoon on a, on a sunny winter day, yeah. in a way, all of a sudden you realize, oh, oh, that's where we are now. It's, you know, summer's falls past kind of a thing. Yeah. Notice, pay attention. I'm not saying copy. I'm saying just notice it. And it won't be long before you start coming up with your own or your mind is just attuned to noticing, you know, today how you were just mentioning before we began, autumn is here, the air is cold. I mean, all of a sudden you're paying attention and that will translate into to writing. So another thing I've noticed too, is that when you read more historical books, you're going to notice the changes that are going on in writing. For example, if you were to pick up any of John Steinbeck's books, like East of Eden, mm -hmm. the amount of narrative description will bog you down. It's beautiful, but it is not current writing. Current writing is <clears throat> fast-paced, dialogue-driven, moving quickly. Yeah. It's responding to our very short attention span. Yeah. And, you know, and even that's like, notice, just start noticing little things like that. Yeah. Uh, romance, how do, how do, how does someone create a little steamy moment? And that's, I, that is my weakest area. I always feel self-conscious writing it. I always feel like my mom has going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> and yet when you read another author who's done it well, it just, it starts giving you, why is this good? Why does this work? Yeah. And there you go. It just starts little by little, um, you know, really improving your own skills. So, yeah. You know, um, I, I like so many kinds of music and so many kinds of writing. So, um, I feel really grateful and I, lucky in a way, I guess, because um, I talk to other people, they're like, oh, I like this and this, and that's about it. Uh, and they maybe read, you know, very deeply in those genres, but I tend to read a little bit more widely and not as deeply. Um, I, I'm just happy about it because I, I read, you know, two or three books by this author and then that author and then that author, and they're all such different, different things, you know. Um, there's a book that uh, if you're watching on YouTube, it's right above my head, The Institute by Stephen King that uh, I got for Christmas a couple of years ago. And at one point I, I stopped and just gave myself a couple of days because I was about halfway through it. And it was so good. I was just inhaling it and I totally, you know, could have finished it in two more days, but I was like, no, I want to make it last. Like I want the experience to continue. Mm -hmm. I want to keep on wondering before I get too close to the end. I want to wonder more like, 
but why and how and but okay but oh my gosh but what if okay so i wonder if i'll find out that like i just wanted to spend more time in it you know and then you know you can't help it you're like how could i write a book that people are like just wanting to put it down in the lab for a minute and go wait a minute i just want to enjoy this feeling of but why and but how and and like can i imagine what might happen next and mm -hmm. you know i think mm -hmm. that's just so so much fun mm -hmm. and it, it's hard work because i do think once you're looking that way you're reading in a different way just like you were reading on two levels like as a yeah your enjoyment and then okay what is he doing that's making me want to do this what you're almost like your director off stage what's happening yes <laughs> yes yeah i love that well okay moving on now we're going to number four and that is if you want to get published which most people do pay attention to what the market wants I have a friend who is a incredibly gifted writer. I mean, you save her letters kind of a writer. She is so, so gifted in how she frames things. And she actually ha even has a blog about her son and things like that, but she's tried to get published and it, it just isn't working. She just, she has topics that are not, they're so specific, they are not market ready. Yeah. And another friend wrote a beautiful book about marriage from um, millennials, published it. Fantastic marketing effort, but millennials don't tend to buy books. And, you know, as a whole. And it's it's interesting. The market is going to dictate what it wants. And you either have to, to get there or you are you may have the most, most wonderful book in the world, but it's not going to have the audience that is going to make a you know, publishing board take notice. Yeah. So I mentioned this book about um, you know, Amish wisdom for Amish peace for a simple, uh, Amish peace with simple, I'm sorry, let me get the title. <laughs> Amish peace, simple wisdom for a complicated world and how you know, foundational it became for me and it, it wasn't that I was necessarily looking. Yes, I was interested, but I wasn't necessarily looking to jump on the Amish fiction bandwagon, which yeah. I'd read a couple of the books I, I wasn't that drawn to. I felt it seemed a little too simplistic for me. And, um, and at the time, there was probably only about six or seven writers who were writing Amish fiction. Now, my last count, and this was probably when you and I did the podcast, I think there was like 85 writers and Whoa. yeah I mean it's just like it is an exploding subgenre it is um the quality is you know all over the place yeah it's it's kind of almost ridiculous at some point I, one author wrote you know Amish zombies a book it's just like <laughs> I know and, and it's kind of too bad because when you do really care about the plain people, there's so much more that the beyond the bonnets and buggies and beards. And I think to do it right, there are authors who do it really well. And, and I want to be one of those. Yeah. But that topic, that idea of Amish peace, my editor, who has such a sense of the market, she she knew what would resonate. She knew that this is what people are looking for. And it really was kind of an original spot in that market. And it, it, you know, it, it became a like ECPA book of the year finalist. And it was just really, she knew exactly what she was doing. 
And I brought the best to the table that I could. So it was such a useful thing. So I'm not saying that things can't be done to find an unoriginal or an original spot in the market. There's a young man I know who is a poet who is trying so hard to make a living. And I, I hope the best for him. I wouldn't stop anyone. I wouldn't discourage them. But I have another friend who wanted to be a humorist, Deborah Cotty, and she has done it. She has found a little niche. And that is one of the hardest little tiny things. And she's she has just stuck with it. And every time you go to an airport, especially the smaller airports that have like those chosen turnstiles, you'll oh, yeah. see her books. Oh, wow. Yeah, she is just broken through. So I encourage people to be true to themselves, but at the same time, the market's going to dictate, you know, yeah. so much. So I'm just thinking, um, so let's just say, you know, you're somebody who you've already put out a book, you thought it would be the right book for the right audience. And then you find out after it's done, that there was something that you didn't take into account. I'm just thinking, um, there's, there are ways to sort of relook at it, like um, your friend with the um, marriage for millennials. I'm like, you know, if she put that in like, uh, an audio podcast, that was like one chapter at, at, for each episode, um, it would sort of be like giving out the audiobook for free in a way. And I know some people balk at that, but if it got you your audience and then that audience was like, wait, I want to, you know, be able to read this, even if they read it on ebook, you know, mark it up and highlight it and that sort of thing. You know, it seems to me that, um, probably not everything, but there are things that you can even figure out. How can I rethink something that looks like I made a mistake? Yeah. I don't know if you've, you know, had an experience like that, but. I love what you're saying because you're really saying chase your audience. Yeah. Find it. Yeah. And that is really good, but that is a, the business side of writing. And a lot of authors and writers don't understand this is a business. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's so hard for me to sometimes um, keep in mind that there's still a lot of people who who aren't there yet with understanding that they're an entrepreneur now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it is. It is like 50% and we will get to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So next thing we're going to talk about is number five. I think you'll like this. Rejection isn't that bad once you get used to it. It's not fake. <laughs> it isn't fatal. Nice, yeah. Man, is it part of the author gig. I mean, you have got to get ready for feeling like you're in front of the world in your underwear. You know? Because your imagination is out there and it is very personal and you're not just selling a painting. You're trying to sell 10,000 books or more. Yeah. It's hard. So my very first novel that came out, which was Amish fiction, beautiful cover. And um, it was my best first try in the traditional publishing. So this wasn't the little World War II story. This was Amish fiction. And it um, Publishers Weekly just raked it over the coals. Just, oh. I remember being in my bedroom, you know, it was right around Thanksgiving. And I read the review and I just thought, oh my goodness, I am doomed. I mean, this is it. I fully expected the Ravel to pull the <laughs> book. Oh, wow. You know, I put, I put so much everything on that one reviewer's point of view. And I was 
such a brand new writer and into this world. And, you know, and I think some of the things I've learned from that, and, and I have to say Publishers Weekly, um, Library Journal, there's book lists, they are, they have staying power. Those, those reviews stick right up there with Amazon and anywhere else, and they don't go away. And they're the first that people see. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it was true that it was a, a really sad moment. But what I've learned since is that critics have their own bias and they, you know, I, I had, I gave it so much power (laughs) that it took so much joy away from, I just assumed it was right. I assumed it was, everything was right about it. And, you know, when somebody leaves a customer review on Amazon, you have to have a filter that you are thinking about. And so let's put aside the more big um, kahuna reviewer places just for a moment because the customer reviews that come in all over the place does this person do you know this person probably not does this person matter to you probably not and I'm talking about the really negative ones you know most likely you have no idea who this person is what kind of mood they're in when they wrote it what their frame of thinking is and while it's really important to get honest feedback you know that should come the one you're listening to really needs to be a very kind of small and trusted circle. Yeah. People and, particularly who read and enjoy reading in your genre, which, you know, sometimes people leave reviews for books that they, they clearly disliked, but then you're reading the review going, I don't even think you read in this genre. I think you're just telling us I'm not your market and I'm going to tell yes. you how bad your book is for me. What a great point that is. Yeah, or even others that'll start with like, I was in really tired when I read this or really bad mood when I read this. And I feel like, why would you do that to somebody? You know, someone, yeah. why do you think that needs to be listened to? But um, but let's circle back to that book and the Publishers Weekly. And I, I, again, it really stole a lot of joy. And if I could suggest to anybody else, you just be careful with letting someone else make that call for you. Yeah, That book sold I think over 200 some thousand copies it it's your first it, major published novel yeah. it, it, not at first but it, like the first out of the I think it was but with the first major order out was 53,000 copies it, it and it has just continued to sell wow and the thing like and it's like that I'm not saying that reviewer I'm just saying that was one reviewer like like it did not affect sales. It did not affect Ravel's opinion of me. It did not really have any effect at all. Maybe, I mean, maybe it did, but, but you just have to keep that in mind that it's, this is just somebody's opinion and that's their opinion. That's all it is. Um, I think it's really important though, to be open to feedback, Mm -hmm. to be open to kind of really, you know, but that should be sort of a trusted circle. So I don't even read my reviews very much anymore. I, Unless, unless Ravel wants me to use it and use a graphic or something, I will, but I, and it's not that I don't appreciate the time and the effort, but I think the positive ones, as wonderful as they are, you use the same filter. I I don't know who you are. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you're doing this for everybody. If I've started, I, you know, I don't, and I don't mean to sound like I don't value it. I do, but I'm not as wonderful as you think. And I'm not as awful as some others think. And yeah. (laughs) 
you know, at the at the, the negative ones, which of course are what we you know marinate in, they at the very least they're distracting, and at the very worst they're debilitating. And I think that's what happened to me with that Publishers Week. They felt very debilitating. So I kind of have narrowed it down. There are two people I'm trying to please as I finish a book. And the first is my editor. And the second is the project editor. That's the person sort of at the back of the house who's doing the line editing and the, all the proofing. Mm-hmm. I have such a huge regard for both of them. So the acquisitions and the project editor. And I feel like they're my filters. They're the ones who, they're going to tell me the truth. They're going to tell me what needs to be fixed and changed. And But I, that has helped me to kind of just narrow that down, that little circle. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And, um, you know, there's lots of, I, I have a feeling that there's lots of people, because I used to think this, once you got published, like you would never get rejected again. And all those people out there that I see, you know, with books, and I was just in the sci-fi bookstore earlier today here in Melma, I love that store. Um, you know, and there's, you know, six Robin Hobb books over here, and there's 10 Jim Butcher books over there. And it's like, oh, wow. But um, I also know a lot of writers who have a lot of books out and they still sometimes get a rejection. The editor's like, no, not that. So um, what sorts of things do you do to kind of um, not let that steal your joy and, and get you down? So you're talking about rejection a proposal? Uh, rejecting a, a proposal or, or, or something that's happening like you are a a uh, very well published author now. You've got a lot of books out, but there are still going to be times when yeah, yeah. I would assume that yeah. I still have had. I had one idea a while ago that um, Ravel got really close, and then they decided. And this may sound funny, but they want a millennial voice on that topic, uh-huh. not not a, a mom seasoned. <laughs> yeah, that's. I have an opinion about that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> so they said, if you want to take it to other houses, go ahead. And so I did. And, and again, it came back, you know, close, but rejected. So yeah, I still, I, you are always at the starting line in a way. I don't yeah. think it, because it's a market and the market is looking for its audience. So yeah. I think it's more just like for that, that idea that I have, that got rejected. I think I, I'm going to use it in a different way. Right. Maybe as like a, um, something I give away at the back of a book sometime or, or a free, download or something like that so you know if you want to write there's places to write but but just remember you know rejection is pretty normal this is pretty normal it's okay you're still a person of great value you know exactly yeah something to say but okay so moving on we're going to go to now um you own number six you only get one chance to debut so don't blow it so Uh-oh. I was <laughs> recently judging a first pages at a master's writing class. And there were about 25 entries that I was given to read through. And I was shocked at the typos and errors in the, the entries, just because it immediately distracted my reading of it and doubt made cause doubt, you know, is, and I, I make typos too, but I mean, wow, that should have been just fine toothed comb. So immediately like half and then half the entries, I just wanted to cut out the first two paragraphs. They were such heavy setups. Yeah. Again, really distracting. And I wanted to just jump in at the point when action began. So 
keep that in mind. If you are entering a contest, you are sending a proposal, you are, you know, letting anyone with clout read this for you. It has to be good. Yeah. Not be lazy about that. That's what I sort of felt like this, this is just lazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you made a good point. Um, so your, your, um, your key was, uh, about being a debut author. Um, but I'm thinking about, uh, one of my friends who she had an agent, she got one book published, but things weren't really working out. And now she's shopping for, or I shouldn't say it that way. She's uh, <laughs> querying additional agents now to get a new agent. Um, but for every single one of those queries, like, this is her debut appearance like how is she going to present to this new person or for somebody who um like i have several friends who uh write for more than one publishing house so the very first time that a new publishing house gets you know a, a look at something this is even if you're not a debut author this is your debut appearance in front of that person mm-hmm. and i think it's all of your of suggestions turnover. yeah there's a lot of turnover and, you know, in the market as well. So you may be working with a new editor and a new, new everybody. So almost, it's a great idea to just sort of treat every single meeting as the first, yeah. <laughs> do your best, put it, put the effort in. Exactly. So, okay. Number seven, I should have majored in marketing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we were we've kind of been, you know, weaving in this topic all through, but marketing and promotion is half this job. It's literally half the job of writing a book. Yeah. You just can't do enough marketing. It's an entirely different set of skill sets, just as important as the skill of writing a good book. And so, for example, that small press that I mentioned when my first little World War II novel was published, I learned how to speak publicly, like get over that fear of it. I Something I dreaded. I learned how to um, get my books into bookstores. I learned how to take and this is really important, every single aspect of nonfiction that I could out of that book and sort of find a hook for it. For example, in this, that little World War II love story, I had a little boy who was deaf. And in the 1940s, Spencer Tracy and his wife had a little boy who was deaf, John, and Louise Tracy, his wife, figured out they not sign language, but how to help him learn to speak um, through some some curriculum that she could, you could send it to her and you get almost like every few weeks, some new lessons to work through. Because, and this was kind of new thinking at the time that up to age five, there was still a window for language to form and for the tongue to work right and all that kind of thing. Novel thinking at the time, it has since become the John Tracy Clinic. She was just cutting edge and just did such a remarkable job. So the John Tracy Clinic is part of USC. And I wove that into my book and ended up having a connection with John Tracy Clinic, went down there. They had my book on display. And it was just such a neat little moment of, of just every single nonfiction thing you can find, you can probably do a talk on it. You can find a connection to it. You can find a way to, to make it weave in and market your book. That's an excellent point. Wow. I do a lot of this now I'm doing during the pandemic. I came up with this idea of taking 
I had a historical book published called Moonlight School based on a true story about literacy in America. Incredible true story. And I took that true story and I created a, a presentation through PowerPoint that I give now to libraries. And it's such a great way to connect. Again, it's the, the story of it, which can so much of my research I'm using, I'm able to, to put into, you know, something really concise and visually appealing. And then yes, promote my book as well. But, but it's like, there are so many ways to pull that out of a book, pull out of a book all you can to sort of yeah. spin it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like um, your current book, the one that just came out, congratulations, you have a new book, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I feel like I have the uh, title on the tip of my tongue, and I'm afraid to say it because I'm going to say the words in the wrong order, but it's called anything but plain. Yes. Anything but plain. I was like something about not plain or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything but plain. So I was very, very surprised at the very 21st century types of topics that you had in this book. You had two. And I was like, how is she going to make this interesting? And then you made it really interesting. And I was reading the second half of the book much faster than the first half because I was like, no, I need to know what happens next. Oh, thank you for reading it, Kitty. I appreciate yeah, that so much. Absolutely. But now I'm thinking, yeah, so you not only can be talking about fiction and Amish when you're trying to figure out like, where can I talk about my new book and let people know it's out there, but you can be talking about, shall we name or not name these two items? Yes. No, please do. There's, this is the, sorry, it's backwards. <laughs> uh, if you know, everybody who's watching on YouTube, it's actually frontwards for us. So that's a beautiful yeah. cover. Gorgeous wow. cover, one of my favorites. And I love that there is not a face on it. Yeah. I love that you just let the reader put the face on. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is a truly gorgeous cover. So it's not a surprise. I can just go ahead and mention it. Mention yeah. the topics. Okay, yeah. So um, so when I was first reading about organic farming, I was like, oh my gosh, I I I'm not sure if there's a topic that I care less about. I'm sure there <laughs> is, but you know, I'm like please don't make me read this for the whole book, but then you may, may be so interested in it. And then I started not just learning things, but I learned things from the perspective of the, um, of the characters who were, there's a lot of, I don't, I'm not going to give any more away about this, but there was a lot of layers to this, this idea of organic farming and how this one young man decided he wanted to give it a try. And, um, there was a lot of sort of um, subplots that, that followed that as well. And, um, and I'm just thinking just, just in that uh, one of the two major 21st century topics, you could probably pull three topics off of that, where then you could be talking about that topic to a certain extent and then be, and I have this book. <laughs> and then the, the other topic that I really didn't expect to see, especially in, you know, Amund Amish romance fiction uh, was about ADD and ADHD. And I was like, well, wait, what this, what? I never would have thought that this would be in an Amish book, but I'm like, it is 2021. No, it's not 21. It's not 2021, Suzanne. It's not 2021. 
2022. <laughs> I don't even know what year I'm in. But you know, um, and that was also so interesting and so many pieces to that, that I can totally see you just kind of doing a mind map and writing down a list of all the sorts of topics that you could present at different kinds of, um, you know, mothers groups, schools, um, you could just literally sit there and mind map out all the different ways that you could talk about that one topic and be like, and by the way, anything but playing, you know, is the new book where I, you know, talk about it. So I, I would think that I think that you can train yourself to be a marketer and you just have to tell yourself that I also choose to enjoy it because if you just continue to choose to say, I hate it, I don't want to do it, you're not really doing yourself any favors and it won't get any easier if you're going to choose to keep on saying, I choose to dislike this part of my job. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No, I think it's, it may not be your sweet spot but it has to be your spot. <laughs> you know, it yeah. has, to be, has to be part of this experience because the, there are not the bookstores that there were and there's not, you, you know, you have to partner with your publishing house. They're doing the best they can, but they need you to step it up. And that's across the board, whether you're Stephen King or not, you know, they are out on book tours and, and media blitzes and yeah, maybe more people are going, but I've actually been to bookstores that have had big shots and they've said we can't figure it out there are times when there's people down the, the you know out the door and there's people and there's other times when three people show up so wow. it is a hard hard thing to find your audience and get them out to see you and yeah. you know on a rainy night and things like that but um it's actually really fun once you start and maybe this is where you have a friend that you are working with and a coach like you mentioned you are coaching you know, this, this is where you get help, get help with the weak areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good idea. And I know some writers, uh, if they live in the same town, like one goes to be the support person to the other, when they have a signing, the other, and then it's the opposite. Like now she's supporting her when she goes to a signing or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've done that with a friend of mine. I know. I think you can't have enough. And even your publishing house, ask them, I need some help brainstorming. I need, I need to figure out some ideas. Um, but I think that's one of the most kind of um, really motivating and exciting, and it, it is more fun than you think, but it may not be your skill set. But as we mentioned, that shouldn't stop you. You've got to kind of work with that and yeah. keep going. And so you mentioned my book, and I wanted to just point out one thing because the, the organic farming and the ADHD sound so disjointed. It's basically a story about a young woman who is in a highly conforming society, obviously, and here she has ADHD. She can't keep a job. She can't, you know, she can't show up when she's supposed to. Refrigerators left wide open, doors are left open, on and on. But, and I really had to approach this in the Amish way of thinking so that I wasn't, I needed to be true. And I have seen ADHD in the Amish communities. I know it's, I don't think it's necessarily prevalent because it's a, a genetic disorder. And I even hate to use that word disorder because, but it is not without its gifts. So with this farmer, for example, this young woman, Liddy, is looking at this young man's fields that his father has tried to do in a straight line, straight line, you know, even though it's a sloping field. And she looks at it and she says, why are you fighting the hills? Why don't you, con you know, accept the contours? And it was like a light bulb went on in this young farmer's mind about, about kind of creating... Um, 
plowing around the contours of the hill, yeah. which is a part of organic farming. You, you know, you're, you're getting that, you're getting less erosion, you're getting more water coming in. There's just, you're, it's just a better use of a hill and you can make use of that hill too, instead of trying to make it, force it into what you want it to be. That is, I think, the best moment of showing the giftedness she has in thinking differently and thinking creatively and not being so limited, which is part of ADHD. It is. They're, they're just, their mind is probably using both sides of the brain in a different way than, than yeah. we do. And so that was, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of a little bit where they work together, where the, the two themes sort of are both outside of the, the realm of, of this community, but they both yeah. bring the best. And, um, and the other thing that was so lovely about this community is that there is lots of people who love her and want the best for her, but they cannot figure out how to, some people want to make her conform and they can't do that. And other people, they love her. They just want her to not be, um, what, what appears to be sort of a walking disaster to some people and they can't figure out how to help her. But the, the one person, not, not just one, but the love interest has always seen her as just somebody who's really creative and has interesting ideas and interesting things to say. And you're like, oh, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. What partners can do. <laughs> yeah. And she, she brings out the best in him too. You know, she, yeah. she really helps him see things in new ways. And also thank you for saying that. I, I love the characters and I love that it's a new conversation it brings yeah. up a conversation, which is really fun. And um, it feels so 21st century, um, a whole bunch of things. And I don't want to ruin things for people, so I won't mention, but there were several things where I was like, oh, right. Like this could be, okay, not not down the street here in Malma probably, but, but this could be the community down the street from me because I see how like, this is, this is today's world. This isn't um, prairie romance, you know, 1800s. Uh, this mm -hmm. is, this is now. And, mm -hmm. and I like see how it's now and yet some of the problems are the same and some of the problems are different. And, and it's just, it makes it a lot more interesting than, you know, and I mean, this is a compliment. It was a lot more interesting than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with Amish fiction. Everybody has a, a view of, oh, brother. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love, I love finding more, finding, you know, real people and how they're working out their their faith in their life and how they do community so well yeah. and we do it so badly, you know? So I think there's a lot to learning and a lot still to come, you know, Yeah. without going Amish, I'm not encouraging anybody to pretend they're perfect, but they have, they have a pretty good idea of the important things in life and how to hold dear. So, yeah. Okay. Moving on. We've got two more now. We've okay. got revise, revise and revise again. Writing is one thing, revising is another. And first drafts are terrible. They're just terrible, <laughs> but that's okay. But you just keep working and working and working and clean it up and improve it before it goes out. I, I will, before a novel goes out, I will go through it and I can kind of tell how, it's in, how much better it's getting by how long a chapter takes to, to edit. I mean, sometimes it'll take a full day and because I'm also doing a timeline, I'm doing a character sketch, I'm checking, I catch so many mistakes in that end point, you know, three Mondays in one week kind of a thing. Right. And, you know, just then it will get where I'm finally 
going through it again. And, and I have to say, by this point, there's no surprises left. It is not fun. It is drudgery. You're so sick of the story. But this is where when a chapter is down to 10 or 15 minutes, it's it's okay. We're getting there. We're ready. Almost ready. You know? Yeah. So um, anyway, revise, revise, revise. That is part of it. And now the last thing is probably one of my most favorite things to talk about. And it is how an author writes. And I, I have a, I liken it to the 20 mile march. Have you heard of that? Have we talked about that before? I don't remember. It's kind of out of your, your world. It is um, October, 1911. And there were two teams led by two experienced explorers, one from Norway and one from England. And they were lined up on the coast of Antarctica with the same goal in mind to be the first humans to reach the South Pole. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. so they were both, both of these leaders, both of these explorers were similar in age, similar in experience. They didn't start at the exact same point. They had their own choice of where they wanted to begin, but they departed within days of each other. So in the hundred past years since this amazing race, historians have really studied the differences between these two explorers focusing especially on their leadership styles. So one of the most glaring differences is they found that the, the Englishman, Scott, he tended to rely on very big and creative bets and bold moves, while the Norwegian Amundsen valued very intense, almost fanatical discipline and consistency. And the most obvious difference in this can be found in how they proceeded, how they, their travel plans. So Amundsen, the Norwegian, he committed to traveling no more than 20 miles a day, regardless of conditions. No matter what perfect conditions, he stopped his team. Now, Scott, by contrast, he chose to allow the conditions to, to lead him. If it was a good day, they pushed on as far as they could. If it was a bad day weather-wise, they would stop, they would rest, they would repair their nets, their, you know, all the things they needed. Um, and so, and then he, when the weather improved again, he would push hard to make up for the lost time. When, and what happened is, as they got closer and closer, they were within about 45 miles, Amundsen, was within 45 miles and conditions were perfect, perfect. And his team realized they could make it today if they, if he would let them go. Yeah. One final breathtaking push to the finish and he wouldn't do it. They, they had no idea where Scott was. They didn't know, they couldn't track his vision. For all they knew, he was right on top of them and they pushed him, they wanted to go, but he would not do it. He just absolutely refused. 17 miles, they stopped. He decided that they would reach it in one thing the next day. He felt that if they overstretched and exhausted themselves, they may not make it back. Right. Well, he and his team made it first. Scott and his team arrived 34 days later. Days. Wow. Days later, Amundsen made it all the way back to the base camp with on the precise day he had logged in in his planning journal, every single member of his team made it back with him. Scott and every member of his team died 11 miles from a cache of food. 
So this is so much about the writer's life to me because, and I, and I know I'm oversimplifying it, but I think we generally go with Scott's methods. We let the conditions take us. If all things work, we stop and write and write and write and write. And then if you have a busy day or you're tired or you don't feel well or family's visiting or whatever, you just put it away and, and then you try to make up for the time. And it doesn't work. It has to be a disciplined march. Yeah. I think consistent disciplined action is going to get you over these lofty goals. And I, my whole point of this is to set reasonable goals, even if they're small, even if it's, you know, a thousand words a day, 500 words a day, even less, but you can do more than you think you can. And there is just this idea of making this a priority in your life, making it come first, whatever time that works for you, but it is sacred time. You don't let it get squeezed away. You keep marching, you stop so that you have something to look forward to the next day. You get off away from that computer because you need that. Your brain needs the fresh air and just keep going. Francine River will only write four pages a day and she stops. Wow. She you know, I, I think this is a really good thing to keep in mind that this is something you need to take seriously. If you really want to be a published author and you can reach your goal. So yeah. speaking of endings, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of my wrap up. That is my best advice for the things I've learned the hard way. Wow. I love it. I love the last one. My mind is still kind of, you know, going through because I've heard that story in a different context having to do with um, business management and managing people. Um, but, but I've heard the story, but now thinking about it from the writer's life, I'm like, yeah, okay. So do I want to arrive at my destination, which is 20 or 30 years in the future with a whole bunch of books. Do I want to arrive or not arrive? <laughs> yeah. And it is actually one of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to um, physical and mental health, because those are two things that I've seen so many people. And obviously I just said that I have also had a, um, a problem with just not, not taking care of things and thinking you can just push through. Oh, I just push through. It'll be fine. Um, you know, and then I know people who, uh, you know, they, they have some sort of health issue um, that now they have to take, you know, three months off while they heal from something or, mm -hmm. or longer, um, you know, or the, the, uh, the burnout that I had, man, it was, um, it was over a year of not writing anything at all. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that was something that like, looking back, I'm like, oh, what if I had taken better care and kind of used the Amundsen style? <laughs> we're just gonna do this much and then we're gonna stop, but we're gonna do that every single day. You know, mm -hmm. I really, really like, I'm still stuck on point number one there. <laughs> I, you know, I like it a lot because I think this whole idea that you break a task down is almost one of the things I learned in writing anything but plain, some of the, the inobtrusive ways that come from within to help you accomplish goals and stay on task, which is so much of what this character Liddy was struggling with. And there was a lot I kind of, they sort of weaved together with the idea that our, you have to respect your brain. Your brain needs, you know, it needs certain things and it needs kind of that discipline as well to keep things fresh and keep things going. But when you can really break a task into manageable pieces, you will finish it, you'll get it. Yeah. But if it's too big, it's overwhelming. 
Yeah, yeah. And I like the other point that you had in there um, where Liddy was learning more about this this topic. Um, and it was about uh, that in our 21st century life, we probably are doing things and putting ourselves in situations where we sort of develop a little bit of ADHD symptoms. Um, symptoms yeah and i'm thinking about i was actually while i was reading it i was thinking about like the prior two or three days or i would start to do one thing remember something else i'll do that on the way to the other thing then i couldn't remember what was the first thing that i was going to do and not just that but like it would happen in conversations it would happen while i was typing an email it would happen while i'm making a list of something and i was like okay i have got to slow my brain down i've got to stop putting so much um uh, what do you call it? Um, not stress, but um, yeah, that overload. Overload, yeah, just yeah. putting so much stuff into it. Yeah, well, you make a really good point. Now, so to be clear, technology cannot make you ADHD. Yeah, but studies are showing it can give you symptoms of ADHD. You know, think of your phone dings, and you're like Pavlov's dog. You just go suddenly. That's the most important thing. I mean, put it away during dinner, like get some control of this thing. And I'm talking to myself here. There is, there's so many things we can do. Finish one task before you start another, slow down, Yeah. let your mind really, I think, especially as we're aging and, you know, don't get, don't let distractibility really take such control because it does just listening to people. You're right. You kind of three trains running at once. And right, right. And you know, the books and uh, articles, you know, after a while, you're like, did I read it? Did I hear the audio book? Did I listen to it on a podcast? So whatever it was that I've been listening to lately on creativity, um, a couple of times now I've run across people saying something that I've always known was true about myself, but I, I wasn't sure if it was true in a general sense. And they were saying um, to be the most creative or to allow your brain to have the space to be its most creative self, um, you need to give it space. So you need to be in a position where you can just be staring out the window daydreaming, that you're not multitasking doing seven things. Uh, and I noticed that during the last couple of years, I've been just really busy doing a lot of things and I feel less creative, but I think because I don't give my brain a chance, you know, to sit there and muddle things through, you know, um, meander around and just grow in circles until I have that kind of like, oh, what if blah, 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 you know, and you have that creative insight or idea. There's a book called Subtract and it's a business book. Do you know it? I, I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. I think the author's name is like Lighty Klotz, K-L-O-T-Z. And it is kind of business, kind of bogs down a little bit. I, but the concept of it is that we add and add and add. And it's not a book about minimalism or simple living or anything like that. It's a book about the fact that there is strength in space. So let me give you an example. Corrugated cardboard. Okay. Right. Strength stronger with those spaces and a concrete brick part of foundation used to be thick and full and then they realized no it's the four corners that are giving it its strength and so there tend to be you know like a bar in the middle and a space in between yeah. and that has helped it become more fireproof more all these and it's like there is there's so many examples in nature and in invention 
where there's strength in subtracting. Yeah. And I think that that might have to be meant. I'm going to have to start maybe adding that to my hard thing, things I learned the hard way that instead of adding, 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 work with your strengths, help creativity is a strength, but you're right. If you don't give it space, it's sort of muffled. It's squelched. Yeah. Well, this is sort of perfect because your workshop is now, you know, the 10 things about plus the bonus 11th tip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to add that. Thank you. <laughs> We're learning constantly. Oh, Suzanne, I love talking to you. I guess I've forgotten how much I love talking to you. We need to do this more than three years from now. <laughs> yeah, we need to meet first face to face someplace. <laughs> Definitely. We've got to yeah. find a place. I mean, I have uh, friends and uh well, where are you about in Northern California or Southern California? Northern. Northern. Oh, see, I've barely been up there maybe once or twice. So now I have a reason to go again. <laughs> you have the Northern Lights and I want to see those before I leave this earth. I want to see those Northern Lights. They must you, know, be, you must. Do you see them? No, actually I don't. I'm still too far South. Mm. Um, but uh, I did just recently, a couple of months ago, read something about, um, you know, and pardon me, people who are scientifically minded, and you know that I'm totally messing this up. <laughs> but like the the uh, curvature of the Earth and the, the the Earth in relation to where the Sun is, and uh, you know the the whole idea that so many things in life are kind of an ebb and flow. So apparently, um, around every three years, like the Northern Lights will be brighter in some areas and and less in in mm -hmm. uh, during other times. And I remember as a kid in Michigan in Michigan, seeing Northern Lights and yeah. all the way up to the time I moved away, really. But it occurs to me now, having read that article, I'm like, oh, that's why I didn't see them every year. I only saw them sometimes. Yeah. So I don't have to go to Sweden and Norway. I could just go to Michigan in dead winter, right? Exactly. <laughs> go at the right time during the right part of the three-year cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this has been so much fun. So tell us again, the name of your book and where can they find it? And also where can they find you and all of the rest of your books? So this is anything but plain, love the cover and just, just released literally like this is the first copy and it is, you can find it at any retailer that your favorite place to go. I want to encourage people to get it at Walmart because it is in Walmart and I'm, you know, really want to plug that because they do a great job for, for readers and so, um, but you can find me at SuzanneWoodsFisher.com and I have a connect page and I try to get back to people within 24 hours and love, love, love connecting to readers. I think I write in a laundry room. So this is really helpful for me to get feedback from readers and just know people are out there. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. And this is Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, no C in it. Thank you. Oh, SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. Yep. Awesome. And are you on social media? Yes, I especially enjoy Instagram. It's oh, really fun. I, I have a lot of grandchildren and I would love to do more of their stories, but I respect their privacy and I, I don't. I kind of, if anything, maybe from behind their back of their heads, but yeah. you know, it, it's just such a fun thing to have those family photos. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know why I, I can't help it. I still take lots of pictures of food. I really love food though. <laughs> <laughs> And I love baking and my husband loves cooking. So between the two of us, we're always doing some Thank other you. new interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do the same with gardening. I love gardening. So a lot of my flowers and, and beds and things like that. Nice. Nice. Oh, do you have those on Instagram? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I might have to go look because I do yeah. not have a green thumb. So. Oh, yeah. When you mentioned organic farming doesn't interest you at all, I thought, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, um, I'll garden vicariously in my mind through you by looking at your pictures on Instagram. <laughs> or start small. Just start with a flower. That's <laughs> right. You know, because that was kind of one of your points was, you know, anything that we want to do, we can just start small. We don't have to start with our first book being, I'm going to write a bestseller today. Right. Yeah. And I, and I don't have to write and do an entire garden today. I could start by keeping one plant alive. That's right. Flower. That's right. And one easy to grow flower. Start, start small and smart easy. Yeah. You know what? We'll have an, we'll have some more conversation after we're done, I think, because I might need to ask you some help for that. <laughs> Suzanne, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know it's a really busy time when you have a book release, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to share so much with me and my audience. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed you and hope I hope it was helpful. I hope it's, I kind of have a, a phrase that I use, which is hang it thou in there. So this is a tough business, but if you are meant to write, your book is needed out there. So hang it thou in there.